Our psalm this morning is found in Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in Matthew chapter 4. We are reading verses 12 through 25. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. And Father, as we come to you after a long week, we confess that our souls are weary, there's difficult news in our country, children being shot while in schools, there are many things that weary us in our lives around us, there is sickness, there is disease, there is unhealth. God, we are desperately in need of your grace this morning, we need your word to speak to us, to encourage us, to remind us of the great truths that are ours in Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak, for your servants are here listening. Amen. In 2005, my father-in-law gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. Several of you have had opportunity to hear me speak of this. But since high school, watching documentaries on East Africa, I had dreamed of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And then suddenly, really almost out of nowhere, he decided to take all his sons-in-laws on this trip to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. 
It was exciting and arduous, and we set out on this journey. Uh, and there are certain laws and regulations that regulate those who do climb the mountain. One of the chief laws and regulations is that you simply can't set out on your own to do it, thankfully. And so everyone must hire a guide. The guides are Tanzanians and Kenyans who have climbed the mountain hundreds and hundreds of times. They tell you the night before you leave that I want you to listen to me. That your success in this journey will depend upon you listening to me. And I remember it very distinctly on day three of the climb as we were actually starting to really gain altitude. We were to arrive at noon that day at lunch at 15,000 feet. It was an impressive overlook. And my guide was considerably shorter than me, and so his stride was considerably smaller. And I found myself on the trail wanting to pass him. And he looked back at me and said, pole, pole. I means slowly, slowly. Get back in line was the word. <laughs> and then at lunch, he explained to me, he said, you must travel slowly. You see, because one of the great things that stops people in climbing Mount Kilimanjaro is not their physical conditioning, but altitude sickness. And your body must acclimate slowly. And so he was telling me to follow him and to, to walk slowly, to trust his wisdom, because he knew how to take me to the summit of the mountain. He wanted me to trust him, to get back in line, to defy and renounce some of the native instincts in me that wanted to simply charge ahead. Then at lunchtime, as we're looking over the beautiful vista, and we can see the trail that runs up the backside of the mountain, and on day three, you can actually ascend that trail and reach the summit. And then he looked at us after lunch, and he said, follow me, and he points down the mountain. Now, we had just climbed from 7,000 feet to 15,000 feet, and he told us that we were going to descend back to 10,000 feet. Friends, I'm not super intelligent, but that didn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> why, why give up all that territory that we've just gained? Several miles, arduous miles uphill that I was then going to surrender by walking downhill for 5,000 feet when the summit is simply right up there within reach and you can see it. And once again, it was follow me, trust me. And he gave us an explanation that night when we reached our camp. He said, this is part of the acclimation process, that if you want to climb high, you have to sleep low. So follow me. And he said, follow me the next morning when we had to climb the most arduous part of the trip up what is called the Bronco Wall, and he calls it the Breakfast Wall, in which you are simply scrambling up. And he said, this is the way. And then the final evening in which the ascent takes place where you go from 15,000 to roughly 19,000 feet. And he says, walk slowly and follow me and you will be fine. That was Nicholas's invitation to us constantly throughout the trip. As one who was experienced and who knew and understood what it was to reach the summit. That he wanted us to trust him. To put our well-being in his hands to submit to him, to believe that he, had our, that he had our best intentions in mind. And friends, as we approach this series in Matthew, we are looking at these two words from our Lord Jesus. Follow me. Because if Matthew was to give you a sum of the Christian life, if he were to distill something that is incredibly complex down into something profoundly simple, this would be the summary 
of the Christian life. It's what our Lord Jesus commands us, is that we follow him. That we hear this command and we receive it as all of the grace and all of the goodness of God that it is. And so over these next six weeks as we approach Easter, this is what we'll consider. What does it mean for us today to hear the claim of God that we are to follow Jesus? What is involved in that? What are the different details and features and facets? Because friends, the Christian life is this simple. Jesus will repeat this command over and over and over in the Gospel of Matthew. And so let's hear it afresh. Let's hear it together. Let's trust his wisdom. Let's believe in his way. And we'll find ourselves arriving at summit, exactly where he would take us and where he would deliver us. And so our question for the morning is, what exactly is this command, follow me? Many people can just simply hear it as a moral exhortation that they're to be ethically perfect and right. And that misses something significant. But there are three things that we're going to develop this morning. And the first is that this command to follow me is a covenantal command. It's important to recognize that there's biblical context to what Jesus says here. That this word in its Old Testament uh, parallel is used in several connotations Uh, And it's particularly used in Exodus chapter 13, where God is leading the people through the desert. And they are following the glory of God through very treacherous circumstances. And then you find it once again in 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah the prophet is confronting the false prophets of Baal. And he says, if the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. And so the word follow in the Old Testament is used in this religious context over and over and over. That it's attached to the idea of being bound to something and in a relationship to something. That if God is our God and he is the one who's entered into covenant with him, we are to follow him, to believe him, to trust him, to obey him, to submit to him. That this is the call that Jesus picks up. And when he uses this language, it was not without accident, and it was also not lost on his disciples. That God is inviting us and summoning us into this covenant partnership with himself when he calls us to follow him. And as with all biblical covenants, it's important to note two features of this. But the first is that it begins with God's initiation. It begins with the initiation of Jesus If you follow in verses 18 and 19, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were going about their ordinary vocations, their calling. And then verse 19, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The passage is almost abrupt. That Jesus intervenes on them. That there's an immediacy to this where he intersects their lives and he calls them. He summons them. He awakens them to follow him. He issues this command. And friends, this wasn't the idea of the disciples to follow after Jesus. Jesus came to them. He initiates with them. He intervenes in their lives in the middle of their work. And friends, this is the way that we enter into covenant with God. It's not our idea. It's not our works. It's not our merit that 
commends us to him is rather God choosing and deciding to come to us, summoning us to follow him, that the Lord be our God. But the second feature of this covenant is that it also always begins with good news. That yes, God does initiate to us, and also this is not just some bare naked command that we are to follow him into ethical perfection but rather we're to follow believing the good news that is being announced in this covenant that God is making with us. If you note the context in chapter 4 of which we read, Jesus is announcing in verse 17 that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the reign of God was returning to dwell over the earth, that all things in heaven and on earth were being reunited together in what he was saying and in who he was. It was a marvelous proclamation, saying that something new was happening. And then you also find in verse 23 that Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. Friends, this is the context of the command, follow me. That Jesus is not simply calling them to earn their way into the kingdom, but rather he's saying, no, the kingdom has arrived. Therefore, get in line with me and follow me to the summit. As we see the kingdom inaugurated and established on the earth, this is his invitation to the disciples. And it's his invitation to us today that we trust his wisdom, that we believe that he is the one who established the kingdom through his death and resurrection in this unlikely paradoxical way. And that we are not earning the kingdom by following after him, Rather, the kingdom is here and ours in Christ. Therefore, we gladly submit and we gladly follow him because he brings the kingdom to us. And so it's a covenantal command. The second piece, though, to this command is it's also comprehensive. It's a total claim on our lives. As a covenant, it is a claim that God has done something on our behalf that we cannot do for ourselves and that Jesus has initiated that with us. And then there's a second side to this partnership with God when we enter into covenant is that we are to then respond to him by the very grace that he gives us. If you follow in verses 20 and 22, you see the response of the disciples. And it's given to us in very short, terse terminology. But don't miss the profundity of it. In verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And once again in verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. What do you think Matthew's point is in repeating this word immediately? It is to let us know that this is how the shape of our discipleship is to play out. That we are to immediately respond. That when God intervenes in our lives and initiates with us, that we are to respond to this comprehensive command, this total claim upon all of our lives, and we are to then give ourselves freely to him. You see that the disciples, they did leave everything behind. There oftentimes is a picture of the disciples as simply uh, poor vagrants uh, who were uneducated and unrefined. There is some truth to the picture, but also what we know of them doesn't exactly add up with that. They were not scribes and priests. They were not trained in the way that the Pharisees were. But they also were businessmen on the Sea of Galilee, which was a very productive and fertile area. And they also have men in their employ, and they own boats and nets, and they have families there. 
And when Jesus summons them to follow him, they are asked to leave all that behind. And so, friends, it's important for us to recognize that when Jesus intervenes in our lives, there is a cost to it. It will cost us something. There are not many of us who own boats and nets that we're asked to turn away from. But it's important for us to ask, what does following Jesus cost me? What does he ask me to turn from? Because there's also a second feature here that's crucial to understand, that there's also not a negotiation that takes place. We don't get to barter with Jesus. We don't get to say, well, I'll give you this if I get to keep that. That his claim upon our lives is that every other loyalty we have becomes relative. And it doesn't mean that we're not allowed to love and cherish things. But we're only allowed to love and cherish things in relationship to him. We are allowed to have jobs. We are allowed to have children. We are allowed to have wives. We are allowed to have vocations and things that we love inside the creation. But friends, we can only love those things as they are in relation to Jesus. We don't get to have them on our own terms. And so this comprehensive discipleship, it is costly. And there is no ability to negotiate it because the good news of the kingdom has interrupted our lives. God in his grace has acted and done something unique. He has announced it and he's established it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That he's destroyed the weight of our sins and he's reconciled us to himself and he will redeem all things in the future. This is what Jesus was proclaiming was happening and why he could then tell the disciples to follow him and trust him. Very much like Nicholas. Nicholas had every right to tell me, pole, pole, walk slowly. This is the way. And friends, this is what our Lord Jesus does for us as well. Some people will object and say, this is monstrous. This can be so abusive. And friends, in the hands of the wrong people, it could be. But not in the hands of our Lord Jesus. He intends you no harm. He has your best interest at heart. He goes all the way into death to affirm that and assure you of that. That when he calls us to follow him, this is not an invitation to drudgery and to something dreary, but rather it's an invitation to find life. That life is found in him. And so take up that total claim. Take up that loyalty that we owe to him because he's given everything to us. It's the second way of understanding this command. The final thing here is that the command is also a vocation. That is, there is a job for us. We are called to partner with Jesus in his cause. He says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. The reference here is actually from Jeremiah 16, where there is an image of a fishing net that is used. That is an image of judgment. And Jesus is telling the disciples that they are to go out and they will be announcing the judgment of God. But the judgment of God always also issues the salvation of God. That in the purifying of all things also comes forth the grace and the mercy of God and the renewal of creation. And the disciples were called in following Jesus to take up this vocation of proclaiming the good news of the gospel. 
that they were to announce it and they were to declare it to all, that the salvation of God was among men, in the man Jesus, who was truly God, dwelling amongst them, who had come to reconcile all things to God through his own sacrifice of himself. He is the world's true Lord and he is ours or he is not. And so we proclaim him. To know him is to profess him. To know him is to serve him is what Jesus is telling us in this command. Peter, much later in the gospel, if you turn to chapter 26, in verse 58, gives us the example of what we want to avoid. Matthew, in his literary art, is very subtle about this, yet makes the point with an exclamation. As Jesus is arrested and then taken to trial, in verse 58, we learn, and Peter was following him at a distance. And this is a commentary on what Peter was about to do. Following Jesus at a distance, a comfortable distance, so that he wouldn't be associated with him. And friends, that's what we have no permission to do. We have no permission, even though it is far easier for us, to follow him at a distance. To create some separation so that his fate is not our fate and his cause is not our cause. We like certain things about him, but we're not going to fully identify with him. But when Jesus initiates with us in all of his grace and the gospel is ours and we are part of that great reconciliation. And when we hear this command that he claims our total loyalty, that we're to belong to him as our response to this covenant partnership that we can't follow at a distance, that in our words and in our deeds we proclaim him. This is who we are, that his fate is our fate, his cause is our cause. That's what we are then caught up into. This is what the disciples were hearing. And it's what we hear again today. And it's what we need to hear again and again continuously having it repeated to us to hear our Lord Jesus call each one of us to follow Him. Friends, that's what we need. To freshly hear the command. To reappropriate it. To step back out. Knowing that His claim is total. Knowing that His grace is comprehensive. Knowing that He has done everything to enter into a covenant with us. And he does so personally and intimately. And he meets all of our needs. And he calls us to publicly identify with him. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the question is, will we trust him? Will we trust him when he does something counterintuitive? When he asks us to descend from 15,000 feet to 10,000 feet? When it feels like everything is going backwards? When he says, no, don't walk fast, walk slowly. Because this is the way of my kingdom. Friends, this is what we are walking into. This is the Lord who leads us in all of his wisdom and all of his grace. And let's submit to him. Let's follow him through this Lenten season. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are thankful for our Lord Jesus for his coming into the world and announcing that the kingdom of God was at hand and all that he has done on our behalf to establish your reign over all things. 
Thankful that he went down into death on our behalf and then that you vindicated him and raised him and brought him alive on the third day and that he stood upon a final mountain with these same disciples and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And so, Lord, we ask that you would grant us a fresh sight of what it is to hear Jesus say to us that we are to follow him. May we know that he is bound to us, that he is initiated with us, that he has reconciled us. And may that claim then put a total claim on our lives that we belong to him and that we not negotiate and barter in our obedience. And that we also serve as his witnesses, making his cause our cause, that we join with him in his great work to renew all things. Help us, God. We know that we're weak. We know we'd like to negotiate this out. And you abound in grace and mercy for all who stumble and fall, as you did with Peter. Keep us from following at a distance. And Lord, this morning we come with various concerns and heavy hearts. We pray for our country, the place that you have granted us to live, and we ask God for a new work of your Spirit that the command of Jesus to follow him and the life that ensues behind it, that it would break out through the preaching of the gospel and that hearts would be renewed, that people would be drawn to the Savior and be transformed in him. We sorrow and we grieve as we hear of another school shooting. And God, we pray for those families who deal with such heavy loss this week. We ask in some way that you bring comfort and that you draw near that you give them the good promises of the gospel wherever they stand with you. Be with all those who live in fear, frightened by the news of these things, who are concerned and depressed. And God, in the middle of all the chaos of our world, as we mourn, we ask that you grant us your comfort according to your promise. Father, we also pray for our own congregation. We remember those who grieve and who suffer in body and mind. And we ask, God, that you would draw near and bring them comfort through your presence. We remember Branson Bishop, and Beverly Quine, Corky Rogers, Norma Hughes, Mackenzie Colson, and Ellie Jensen. And Lord, we ask that you would also be with all of our young mothers who are pregnant and expecting. We pray that you would protect them as there are many fears in the flu season. We pray for those who have cancer and struggle. We ask God that you would heal their bodies and renew their strength. Assure them of your promises and of your presence. We also pray this morning, Father, for our youth as they are away on retreat in Savannah, Georgia. We ask that you would bless them as they worship at Independent Presbyterian Church this morning. May they meet with you and may they meet with you throughout the weekend as Alec and his team teaches and instructs and trains them and points them to Jesus. And God, may they find the good news to be intoxicating and may they believe and may they trust and may they follow after Jesus hard, knowing all that he has done for them and that he is trustworthy. Bless each of the kids and minister to them. And Lord, we pray for our little children here at Christ Church. And God, we ask that you would continue to bless them as they grow up in this household of faith, 
As they receive your promises and hear them Sunday by Sunday, may they place their faith in Jesus and trust in him. May they mature where they grow in wisdom and stature and favor with you and all people. Defend them, guard them, protect them, and bless them as you promise. Lord, we pray for our missionaries spread throughout the world, and we ask God that you would bless their endeavors to proclaim the name of Jesus, to take up this vocation to be fishers of men, and we ask that you would use them. Grant them encouragement in all of their labors, especially for those who are discouraged. We ask, God, that you would bring addition and multiplication to their works, and they would see the fruits of the gospel advancing in their long labors. We especially pray for our mission partner, Seamark Ranch, as they serve the needs of children in crisis around Jacksonville. Provide all of their financial needs and minister to them and minister through them to these children and their families. We pray for all those who are in authority in our nation. We ask God that you grant them wisdom, that they lead us in integrity and truth. We especially pray for our governor, Rick Scott. And Lord, we ask that you would guide him and lead him. And that under his leadership, our state would know blessing, kindness, and righteousness. Give him wisdom in these days as he handles difficult matters. And Father, we do entrust ourselves to you. We know that you are good, that you've sent our Lord Jesus into the world, that he suffered and he died and he rose and he reigns over all things. And that because of these great, wondrous things that you've done for us, you hear us this morning as we pray. And so we close by saying the words our Savior has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.